as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Some of you ladies, I know you long, you've been planning. You are looking for the moment when you are coming down the aisle and the groom is standing there and in that moment, everybody's rejoicing. Do you know what? God uses that emotion and that picture to show us in this verse how much he loves us. An eternal, everlasting, emotional love relationship with God is what must satisfy your soul. There'll never be a human relationship that can do it. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Last week, we began the eighth and final message in the Marriage Matters series and learned that whether you're married or single, God wants you to be content in your marital status. We also learned that a contented person doesn't have unrealistic relational expectations or defines their worth by their marital status. So let's listen now as Pastor Trent gives us three more declarations a content follower of Christ should make regardless of their marital status. Here's Pastor Trent. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Speaking of marital status, do you understand that it's not an accident for you to have the marital status you have? It is something that God has assigned to you. Here's your assignment. I didn't like all the assignments I got in work. I didn't like all the assignments I got in work in, in school. This is an assignment by God because God knows best. Look at verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. What's he saying? Are you single? Don't be too eager to get married. Are you married? Don't be too eager to be single. You should be content in the state in which you are. Look at verse 28. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Whew. You know, I was making singleness look really great there for a minute, right? And then we come down. You don't sin if you marry. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I'd spare you that. A lot of trouble comes with getting married, right? Men can be a lot of trouble, and women can be a lot of trouble. You got troubles on your own. You, you add a wife, and it gets more complicated. Look at verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. What's he saying? He's saying there is going to come a time when marriage is not going to matter. You, wait, wait, you, Trent, you said marriage matters. Yeah, marriage matters, but it doesn't matter near as much as your vertical relationship with God. And marriage is a momentary thing while we're on earth. When Jesus comes and his kingdom is established, marriage is not going to matter anymore. He, he says in the end of verse 29, from now on, let those who have wives live as they had none. Now, you can go on to, uh, to understand. Don't take that to an extreme because he goes on to explain it. What's he saying? It's like, if you're going to mourn, don't mourn too much. If you're disappointed in your marriage, don't be disappointed too much. 
if you turn your spouse or your marriage into an idol and all of your happiness and all of your contentment and all of your joy is wrapped up in what you experience in this horizontal relationship called marriage, you're missing the point. That marriage is to drive us to God to get something we need outside the marriage to do what we're supposed to do in the marriage. So he says, you as a married person ought to learn something from these single people. These single people have learned how to be content and you ought to live more like that. Whether you have a spouse or not, contentment is what you need. Both singleness and marriage are a gift. God gives some spouses and God gives some contentment. Now, I know what some of you are saying. Some of you are saying, but Trent, what if he hasn't given me either a spouse or contentment? What do I do? Well, you need to work on your contentment. And let me help you with some verses that really helped me when I was in that situation because I've had to repent of this uh, many times. In Psalm 84, verse 11, get this perspective. The Lord bestows favor and honor. You're favored. Your marital status, it's an honorable thing. Get that assignment from God and then look at what he says. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. There have been so many times when I was single, I went to God and said, God, it would be a really good thing if you would deliver a wife right now. That's a good thing, almost in a demanding sense. And I had to come back to the truth of this. No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. If it would be a good thing for you to be married right now, you would be married. If God has not given you that thing, it's not a good thing right now. Do you want what you want or do you want what God wants for you? And so you have to adjust your thinking. Understand there's a good thing that God has. And for some of us, it's singleness. Here's another passage. I lived on these verses when I was single. Psalm 37 verses 3 through 5. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, befriend who? Yeah, faithfulness is not the name of a woman, okay, or or a man. Faithfulness is a character quality that God wants you to get to be really intimate with. Befriend faithfulness. And he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do it. You have a desire to be married? That's okay. But while you have that desire, what are you supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be doing something good. Just do good. Look for opportunities to do something good. Dwell in the land. Just stay where you're at. Keep working away. Do what you're supposed to do. Be faithful. Delight yourself in the Lord. Learn to love Him. Work on that vertical relationship with God. Commit your way to Him. Trust Him. He'll do what He needs to do. Not my responsibility, God's responsibility. So get those ingrained into your soul. Here's the third thing you've got to be able to say before you're married or single, and that is this, I'm focused. I will use my singleness as an opportunity to serve God and others with undivided devotion. Matthew chapter 19, verse 12 says this. Jesus again responding to the disciples, he says, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. You know what a eunuch is? Eunuch is a person who does not have the capacity to have sexual relationships with another person. And some of those people uh, have been given that assignment because of the way they were born. Others is because there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. 
So there were men who were put in charge of like these harems and they didn't trust the men, so they made them less than men and put them in that situation. It says there, uh, there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And so these are not people that have mutilated themselves. These are people that have made a choice to be single because they have such a focus on building the kingdom of heaven to have a spouse would be a distraction for the main thing. And so they have focused on doing something for the kingdom of God. And he says, let the one who is able to receive it, receive it. So there's something that's given. There's something that must be received. Either way, we're focused on the assignment God has given us. So be focused. Look for ways to serve God and serve others that would be more difficult if you were married. One of the worst decisions you can make as a single person is to gather all your single friends together and compare notes on how miserable you all are in your singleness. Better decision, go look for ways to serve people who actually might be married and have children. Or take a risk to go to a foreign country like Liberia and live your life there and and take a risk. Do something that's not going to benefit you. Some of you have the ability to, to make an income and the only person you have to spend it on is you. Look for an opportunity to give some of that away and to invest for the sake of the kingdom. That's what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples here. Here is the fourth thing. I'm careful. I will not give myself physically to someone until I'm ready to give my whole self in marriage. I talk to so many people who are pretending to be married. They live together. They moved in together. They're acting like they're married, but they're not married. They haven't committed themselves to each other, their whole self, their whole future, legally, socially, financially, all of me and all of you coming together in a one flesh relationship. The only kind of flesh they're sharing is physical flesh. They want the benefits of being married sexually without the commitment and the sacrifice of being married spiritually and emotionally. In 1960, almost no one in America cohabitated, lived together. Today, almost half of married couples live together prior to getting married. One quarter of unmarried women between the ages of 25 and 39 are currently living with a partner. By their late 30s, over 60% will have done so. What's driving that? We have this assumption that... um, We've got to practice, right? We've got to try it out and see if it works. You'd never dream of buying a new car without a test drive, right? Well, here's the problem with that. Your relationship with your car is a performance-based relationship. Your car exists exclusively to serve you, to perform for you, to make you look good, and to get you where you want to go. If that's what you think a relationship with a spouse is, you are mistaken. So guess what happens to all these people who live together prior to getting married? They're nearly twice as likely to get a divorce as those who don't live together. It's reverse logic, isn't it? Because we don't understand that committing myself physically to someone 
requires committing myself wholeheartedly to someone. You're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Look back at chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Interesting verse here. Notice it says, um, Now concerning the matters which you wrote. So the Corinthian church had all these questions for Paul. They wrote him a letter. And here's one of the things that they asked Paul about. I want you to notice the quotation marks in chapter 7, verse 1. Here's one of the ideas the Corinthians had. Here's, here it is. It is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. True or false? True or false? True or false? It's not good? What if you're married? Is it good for him to have sexual relationship with his wife? Yeah. You see, one of the notions that was being passed around that was wrong is that it's never good for a man to have sexual relationships ever. Married or single because sex is dirty and you're just an animal and you're a beast and yuck. And Is that the Christian view of sex? No, that is the hyper ultra conservative view of sex. That's not God's view of sex. Now, go back and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 13 because here we're going to see the opposite extreme when it comes to a view of sex. Notice there's quotation marks. Here's another prevailing idea. These must have been in the, in the song lyrics or something. Here's the, 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 the ideas that were being passed around at the time. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. What's all this stuff about food and stomach, food and stomach? Here's the idea. The, uh, the opposite extreme from the first opinion is simply that sex is an appetite like hunger. What do you do when you're hungry? Go find some food. You'll eat every time. It's never wrong to do that. And the prevailing attitude was, that's what sex is like. You have sexual desires, you have sexual passions, go get some sex. That's kind of the culture we live in now, isn't it? We've reduced the sexual relationship to an appetite that you should be able to fulfill anytime you, you have it, just like hunger and food. Is that God's view about marriage? No. Here's the Christian view of marriage. The cost of sexual intimacy is whole life commitment. The cost of sexual intimacy is whole life commitment. Don't ever give yourself sexually to someone who refuses to commit his or herself wholly to you, legally, socially, emotionally, spiritually. That's God's view. Don't give yourself to someone physically without, while you are desiring to hold on to your independence. When you come together in relationship, that one flesh relationship means you come together emotionally, physically, sexually, and spiritually for a lifetime. Why is that so important? Do you know that you can't even come into intimacy with God without coming wholly to Him? You can't come and say, oh, I want to give him like three little parts or 16% of, of me. You know, you come and you give all of yourself to him. Do you know that God couldn't even come into relationship with you without him giving all of himself to you? God couldn't come into relationship with you until he lost his independence. 
Where did God lose his independence? On the cross, right? He left heaven where he enjoyed complete sovereignty and complete independence from all creation. And what did he do? He took on the form of a man and became like one of us. And he didn't give up any of his deity to do that, but he voluntarily submitted himself to the hands of wicked men. And God treated him on the cross as if he'd committed every sin of every person who would ever believe. And on that cross, he absorbed the sin of the world so that you could absorb the righteousness of God. And coming into relationship with us cost him everything. Do you see why God is so serious about the sexual relationship? It's a picture of what Christ has done for us. Um, look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. It explains all of this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh. Have you heard that? Anytime in this series? Yeah, it's all over the Bible. Verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. What are you saying? You're giving yourself physically to someone while holding on to your independence. That is not God's plan. It's that that person would commit all of themselves to you and you would commit all of yourself to them. So be careful. Don't give yourself physically to someone who was not ready to give you their whole being. Here's the last thing. You're not ready to be single. You're not ready to be married until you can honestly say this. I am His. I will not look to marriage to provide something only Jesus can provide. I'm going to bring my whole self I am going to make Jesus my one true love. You will never be able to experience horizontally a human lover until you have experienced the joy of being loved by God and you receive His love and receive Him as the ultimate lover. I won't make you turn to it, but in John chapter 4, Jesus is having a conversation with a single woman. He's sitting around a water well. She's thirsty. He's thirsty. She draws water out of that well to quench her physical thirst. Jesus is physically thirsty too, so she, he asks her for a drink. And he looks at her and makes an incredible statement to help her to understand that her physical thirst that she just quenched with water was analogous to a spiritual thirst that she had that needed to be quenched by Jesus. And so Jesus looks at her and says, Everyone who drinks of this water, the physical water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. She looks at him and says, Give me some of this water. I don't want to be thirsty. Do you know what Jesus' next words were? What would you expect him to be? I'm the Messiah. I'm going to go die on a cross. If you'll repent and you'll put your faith in me, then we'll be in heaven together and you'll, I'll just satisfy every desire. That's what you'd expect him to say. You know what he says? She says, give me the water. Jesus says, go call your husband. What does he have to do with anything? She looked back at him and said, uh, I don't have a husband. I'm single. Jesus looked at her and said, 
Yeah, you're single again. You have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. She looked at him and said, I perceive you're a prophet. Yeah, she's starting to understand who, who's looking in on her life a little bit here. Understanding her singleness. What was the cause of her singleness? What was the cause of her thirst? What was it? She had been jumping from human relationship to human relationship, in a relationship, out of a relationship, break up with him, find another one, and going down the list looking for something to satisfy her soul. And Jesus looked at her and said, I am the ultimate lover. You will never understand how to love a man until you understand how much you are loved by God. Interesting, in Isaiah chapter 62, God's trying to help us to understand how much he loves us. Look at the analogy that he uses in verse 5. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Some of you ladies, I know you long, you've been planning, you have pictures and diagrams and drawings, you have the invitations ready to be sent out if you could just get a man to propose. Understand, you are looking for the moment when you are coming down the aisle and the groom is standing there and in that moment, everybody's rejoicing. He's rejoicing, he's celebrating, he's delighting, he's longing. Do you know what? God uses that emotion and that picture to show us in this verse how much he loves us an eternal everlasting emotional love relationship with God is what must satisfy your soul there'll never be a human relationship that can do it do you understand how much you're loved by God do you understand how much he rejoices over you if you are his the truth of the matter is some of you have never said, I do, to the proposal that Jesus has made. We saw it in Matthew chapter 19. Not everyone can receive this. But to him to whom it is given, it must be received. There is a love that is given but that love must be received. And you receive it not by giving little sections of your life to him, not giving Sunday, but keeping Monday through Saturday. You give your whole self to him in a love relationship that never ends. You see, one day Jesus left his throne in heaven to come propose to you on a cross. May the 5th, 1994, I arrived at Andrea's house. We'd been dating for about a year and a half. She didn't know I was coming. I'd driven about eight hours to come and find her, and I snuck into her room, and, and I hid. And her mom was there, and Andrea came home from work a few minutes later, and her mom just said, hey, there's a package that arrived for you in your room. It was me. So uh, she walked in the room, and she found me. And uh, we took a little walk down into the woods where her dad had some property and a nice little creek bed there. And, and uh, we sat on a rock and I looked at her and I said, you would make me the happiest man in the world if you would marry me. Guys, are you taking notes? Okay. And then I 
pulled out of my pocket a box, and I opened the box. There was a ring in there. It was an engagement ring. It was surrounded by rubies, not diamonds. The reason for the rubies is because Proverbs 31 says, who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. So I wanted to give her a ring that let her know that I believed she was a virtuous woman. I don't see you guys taking notes. I mean, this is going to help you later on, okay? I'm doing you a big favor here, okay? So, drum roll, she looked at me and said, I will marry you. Love expressed, love received. And then later that year, we invited everybody we knew. We wanted to make it the biggest thing. We, we wanted the whole world to know we're committing our lives to it together. And, and we, we, we're not ashamed of this. And we're, we're actually going to like kiss in front of people. And, and it was amazing. And, and it was, um, just we, we weren't ashamed of that at all. Have you ever said, I do, to the lover of your soul? When he left heaven, he got down on one knee, humbled himself and said, will you come into love relationship with me? Not some emotional fuzzy feeling, but the commitment of your life whereby you become like him and he washes you as a spotless bride. Throughout this series, we've looked back at the first page of the Bible to talk about God's plan for marriage. Could we end the series by looking at the last page of the Bible? I'll put it up on the screen. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17 says this. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty you thirsty for love? You thirsty for relationship? Are you tired of being discontent? You know what that is? It's a thirst in your soul. How do you quench the thirst? You come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. He paid the price to purchase your redemption. He ransomed your soul on that cross for those who will come into relationship by giving up their independence, repenting and believing that he is the one who can satisfy a thirsty soul. Have you done that? Well, we hope you've been encouraged by today's message, The Matter of Singleness, this message concludes the Marriage Matters series, and if you'd like to hear this entire series or other teaching from Pastor Trent Griffith, go to harvestgranger.org and click the teaching tab at the top. If you've been blessed by Pastor Trent's teaching and you're looking for a church that boldly proclaims God's Word each week, we'd love to invite you to join us for a weekend worship service on one of our two campuses in Granger, Indiana or St. Joseph, Michigan. You can find service times and campus locations on our website. And in just a couple of weeks, it's Easter Sunday, and that's our biggest celebration of the year at Harvest. 
We'd love for you to join us at a special location, downtown South Bend at the Century Center. Together, we'll celebrate the hope and joy found in Jesus, our risen Savior. For more information, visit us online at harvestgranger.org. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus. Thanks for being with us today. And I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger, harvestgranger.org.